Live from WNUR News, I'm Iris Swarthow. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1 Evanston, Chicago. It's Monday, October 24th, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, how you can help Evanston decide how to spend $3 million. A brief on this weekend's A&O performance by Amine, And some advice on how to navigate flu season. These stories and more coming up on WNUR News. Hi, welcome to WNUR News and thanks for tuning in. Our top story, the Evanston City Council is implementing a program known as participatory budgeting, where community members can decide how $3 million of federal stimulus funds are spent. Members of the community organization PB Evanston are working hard to make it a recurring process. Anusha Kumar has the story. Elections coming up in just a few short weeks. The buzz of voting is alive on campus. But some of us might be asking, how else can I make my voice heard other than just by voting? The answer, participatory budgeting. First developed in Brazil, participatory budgeting, or PB for short, is a process by which community members come together to determine how to spend an allocated amount of the public municipal budget. The local governing body then funds the democratically selected projects. In Evanston, City Council has set aside $3 million for participatory budgeting. The money comes from $43 million of federal stimulus funds allocated to Evanston through the American Rescue Plan, or ARPA for short, passed by Congress early last year. PB Evanston is a Northwestern group focused on participatory budgeting in the form of meeting facilitation and community outreach. Technical Director for PB Evanston and Assistant Professor in the School of Education and Social Policy, Matt Easterday, believes that the impact of PB is twofold, providing funds to uplift the community and enhancing civic engagement. It's directing uh, $3 million of ARPA money to areas of the city that really really need it, especially like for disproportionately impacted people. The second critical impact results from the process of deliberation and decision-making itself. It's giving people a chance to participate in all parts of the political process, from coming up with ideas to developing them into policies to voting to getting out the vote, so it's training civic leaders. In addition to members of the Evanston community, PB Evanston has a number of Northwestern student volunteers. Many of them are pursuing the Civic Engagement Certificate. Easter Day sees student engagement as a critical component. The goal of the Civic Engagement Certificate in general is to um, prepare uh, students um, to take part in the political process. So this is like this is like a perfect opportunity to do that. Like not only do they get to make a difference in Evanston, but they really get to experience like all parts of the political process, like policy development, organizing, getting out the vote. Um, so it's just really like a perfect learning opportunity for anyone who wants to learn how to make democracy work. This past Saturday, members of the Participatory Budgeting Steering Committee and selected PB supporters met at the Pilot Idea Collection Assembly. There, 
They brainstormed ideas for various projects, many of which focused on uplifting marginalized groups of people. The idea would be to help um, people who normally don't have the means to become entrepreneurs in the sense that you wouldn't have to have a business plan, you wouldn't have to do all of this work ahead of time, and you wouldn't have to worry about making money because the grant's forgivable. In terms of timeline and process, Easterday explains that all ideas begin at idea collection assemblies. Um, the way we've set it up for Evanston is that uh, anyone can participate in these assemblies and submit ideas. Um, at the assembly, we're going to introduce community like what we're doing now. You get to brainstorm ideas, and then we're going to ask people who are interested in like, pushing those forward to become budget delegates in the winter to develop the ballot. Budget delegates are anyone 14 or older who lives, works, or studies in Evanston. They work together to develop the suggested budget proposals into around 14 specific projects. Those projects then receive feedback from the community. Um, right before voting, we're going to do a project expo. So of the like 14 or so big ideas that get on the ballot, um, we do kind of like a science fair style presentation um, to help people understand what, the, what they're voting on. But the goals of the expo process are um, making sure people know what they're voting on, pe telling people about PV so they know there's a vote coming up, um, and then maybe getting a little bit of feedback on their proposals depending on if it happens before or during with uh, the voting. And then, Easter Day says, the fun happens, the voting. Um, anyone who, uh, again, has a meaningful connection to Evanston can vote. Um, we're going to have probably uh, normal traditional polling locations, so you can go to like here or the Civic Center, um, cast your ballot, um, and we're looking at probably about two weeks of voting in the, the fall or end of summer. Once voting is done, the city will take over the, and fund the projects. But at that point, the process is basically over and we get to see the impact in our community. Gus Umbelino, P.B. Evanson co-president and Northwestern University graduate student, is hopeful for even more. Like our main purpose is to, I guess our mission is to make participatory budgeting a recurring process in Evanston. That is contingent, he says, on ensuring the success of this initial pilot program of participatory budgeting. P.B. Evanston and its volunteers are working hard to make that a reality. Thank you everyone for coming here tonight. Um, it's really great to see you here and start this process. For WNUR News, I'm Anusha Kumar. On Saturday, Amine came to Welsh Ryan Arena. His performance was part of ANO's yearly blowout event. It also featured student DJ Vitamin K, as well as band Michelle. Ellie Skelly has the story next. Last year, Northwestern students met Willow at our spot. This year, Amina reels us in. On Saturday, ANO hosted their yearly blowout event. We honestly start planning for this over the summer, um, just because like it's a, it's a massive undertaking. That was Jane Greeley, the co-director of media and marketing for ANO. She and Lily Creed were responsible for advertising the event, which began months ago. The first step in advertising was an Instagram poll asking Northwestern students what artists they were most interested in seeing. 
we really use the results of that poll to move forward with our booking for blowout. So in this case, like our headliner Amine was one of the top um, performing responses of our poll. So that's kind of how we knew like this is someone that people would be excited to see. And Amine was definitely a draw for students. I've loved, I've loved Amine since I was in high school and I've always missed him. So tonight I am very, very excited. You know, my friend texted me and I was like, literally, I was at my internship, like clutching the side of my chair. So yes. I love Amine. I've seen him before in concert. He puts on a good show, high energy. So I'm, I'm hyped. I'm so excited to see Amine because he's one of my favorite artists of all time. I think he's amazing. There was a lot of excitement to hear his 2017 hit song, Caroline. I'm, I'm really excited to hear the song, Caroline, because, you know, my first name is Caroline. Even if that was the only song they knew. Yeah, but I do know every lyric to Caroline. But also, there was just a general buzz about the excitement over a free concert. This was ANO's first big event of the year. And for many, it was an opportunity to take a break from studying for midterms and have some fun with friends. Yeah, I love concerts just because they make my heart shake. I'm excited to just be at a concert with my friends. It'll be really fun. I'm excited to finally have a break from all those, those midterms. Before Amine set were performances from student DJ Vitamin K and indie pop band Michelle. I'm most, most excited for the opening DJ Vitamin K. Props to her, shout out Vitamin K. For ANO's Jane Greeley, the most exciting part of the event is seeing her team's hard work put in action. I'm really excited to see like all of the hard work that everyone, like our committee, everyone on the exec board, just everyone throughout the entire organization, like every single person on ANO is working a shift tomorrow and is like doing something to make this event happen. So I'm really excited for all of that to pay off. And on Saturday, everything came to fruition. Students packed into a sold-out Welsh Ryan Arena to watch Amine, Michelle, and of course, Vitamin K perform. For WNUR News, I'm Ellie Skelly. October is scary for a lot of reasons. Halloween, midterms, and most importantly, flu season. Ari Burnick speaks with Northwestern students who share their experiences dealing with illnesses, along with a CDC medical officer who shares some helpful tips. What's spookier than Halloween season? Flu season. This past week, I dealt with the whole works. Chills, nausea, aches, fever, the feeling of impending doom when sending emails to professors to reschedule a midterm. Trust me, vampires and zombies pale in comparison to the flu. I'm not the only one who has fallen victim to the flu one month into school. Although it is only mid-October, the flu has taken Northwestern University by storm. Milan Bobek is a third-year majoring in econ and minoring in business institutions, who just recovered from the flu this past weekend. Bobek says students are not getting checked anymore for illnesses on campus. If they like get tested, sir, or may test positive for like COVID, they're going to have to quarantine. And so I think they just kind of... I don't, I don't think kids get tested anymore. Alexis Bowe, a second-year neuroscience major that currently has the flu, says she believes students in particular are not testing for COVID-19. I think specifically COVID because of the quarantine period and isolation that they have to go through in Hinman. Medical officer at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Amanda Cohn, who happens to be my roommate's mother, said COVID-19 created a hesitancy to test. 
because of the uh, measures that were put into place to prevent transmission of COVID, that even if students aren't necessarily getting sicker from COVID than they may, for example, with flu, there was still a lot more anxiety provoked by uh, getting COVID. There are also our at-home tests, so it was easier to determine if you had COVID. And it's much more easily transmissible than other types of infections that kids get in college. And so I think it was um, it, it was scarier to students. Dr. Cohen says testing is important to make sure you are not infecting others. But really, if you have a cough and a fever, you shouldn't be uh, going out and you should be staying at home um, until you're better, regardless of whether or not you test positive for the flu. People who have underlying medical conditions in particular can get very sick from flu. So if you're a healthy college student, um, you never know if you're around college students who, who may have sickness, who may have an illness. And so it's helpful to know if you have the flu. Although testing is important, both Bobek and Bo echo how missing classes is extremely difficult when being sick. It's hard being behind in schoolwork. Bobek specifically emphasized how some professors at NU do not handle sick students' experiences properly. Some classes don't even let you miss for illness, which is pretty lame, but I'm not going to go give anyone, anyone the flu. I think I think I think classes hand, uh, like teachers handle illness very poorly. One of my classes has a uh, like a no ex- excused absences, including for personal reasons, and one of those personal reasons is illness. Missing class was an issue for both students, but measures can be taken to increase chances of avoiding illness, like getting vaccinated. The flu vaccine is typically between forty and sixty percent effective, which means that even if you get the flu vaccine you're still um, 50%, there's still a 50% chance that if you're exposed, you will get it. Um, And that changes year by year. But the reason why I recommend people get it is that even if you get the flu, the flu shot protects you against severe disease. So it can prevent you from getting um, hospitalized or very sick um, from influenza. Dr. Cohn stresses vaccinations will be particularly important for this upcoming and uncertain winter. I I think this year especially, it will be really important to get both your flu shot and the new COVID vaccine if you haven't gotten that yet. Uh, We really don't know what's going to happen this winter, uh, but it could be a bad season for both just given the dynamics of the last couple of years. And the best way to prevent yourself from getting really sick is to get vaccinated. In addition to getting vaccinated, Dr. Cohn also encourages monitoring your symptoms. And I think the best thing you can do is if you start to have symptoms, just recognize them early. And um, a bad cough and fever are those two major symptoms that you look for for flu and then um, drink fluids and, uh, and, and, and stay in. Bobek echoed that sentiment and had a straightforward message for students. Get vaccinated, don't get the flu, it sucks. For WNUR News, I'm Ari Burnick. Psychedelic drugs have a controversial history, both on and off college campuses. But studies show these substances have great potential for therapeutic use. Here's Allison Rauch with more. 
Last spring, Jacob Millendorf came up with an idea for a club. He wanted a space to discuss a topic he's passionate about. I've kind of been fascinated with psychedelics for a while. I really see it as like one of the most interesting, say, puzzles, academic puzzles. My my kind of aim as a human being, like a lot of these philosophical questions, like how do I lead the best life? How do I be the best person I can be? How do I be happy? And psychedelics seem to answer a lot of those questions. Millendorf was inspired by his cousin at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She told him about the psychedelics club she goes to. I kind of heard that and I was like, whoa, I can't believe that you go like you go to a club every week for this and this is like university sanctioned. And she was like, Yeah, no, it's great. Um and like, you know, we don't we don't do like no one does psychedelics. We talk about psychedelics, we um, kind of try to tap into, like, the psychedelic experience without drugs, so, like, meditation, art. Millendorf looked into similar clubs at other universities. He used this information to propose a club at Northwestern. All of the values were taken off of Harvard's website for their psychedelics club, which is an official Harvard club. It's not, like, a underground. So I went through the regular club process, um, and I don't know exactly how it works, but my general understanding is there's a student body that will pass it, and then there's a uh, some sort of official adult organization that passes it. So it went through the student section, and they said, you know, this this went through, um, your decision is pending, we'll let you know. That was four we're pushing on five months ago, and I have not heard back from them. Millendorf was frustrated by the university's lack of response. But this isn't the first time he's gotten some blowback from the university about his interests. Last year, his presentation on mushrooms was shut down by the Willard Residential College board. I think they were just so concerned that the topic of psychedelic mushrooms might come up that they didn't want to chance it. Psychedelics, or hallucinogens, have a complicated history on college campuses and in the U.S. at large. But today, they're at the center of a new movement in medicine. The psychedelic renaissance in medicine is, uh, you know, commonly said uh, by most people in the field to have started in 2006 when uh, Roland Griffiths and uh, associates at uh, Johns Hopkins uh, published a study uh, on, uh, on using psilocybin to induce uh, mystical experiences. That's Dr. Brian Barnett. He's an assistant professor of psychiatry in Cleveland, Ohio. His work focuses around treatment-resistant mood disorders. And with that, Barnett has been conducting some interesting research on psychedelics. When I got to um, residency, uh, I quickly realized that there, uh, there are a large number of patients with psychiatric disorders um, who don't respond to, to um, you know, basically any treatment uh, that we have right now. Um, there's about a, a third of patients for most diagnoses uh, who are considered treatment-resistant. Uh, it's very difficult to help those patients find relief. And uh, I started digging into the history of, of psychedelics and uh, was just uh, kind of floored. Barnett was surprised to find that in the 1950s and early 1960s, psychedelics were making a splash in medicine, just like they are now. LSD, psilocybin, uh, they were um, psychiatric medicines that were um, marketed. Um, you know, psych psychiatrists in the 50s and 60s um, used them to treat their patients. Uh, and then all that uh, sort of disappeared with the uh, beginning of the, the drug war uh, in the, the late 60s, early 70s. Indeed, about 40,000 patients, if I recall, were treated with LSD and traditional psychotherapy between 
1965, and more than a thousand research papers on LSD and other psychedelics were published in that same period of time. That's Wesley Sharola. He's not a doctor, but he's passionate about psychedelic use in medicine. When he was at Northwestern, he wrote a series of op-eds for the Daily Northwestern. Each op-ed focused on government policies around different substances. When many of us hear the word psychedelics, I think it brings to mind images of the 1960s, of the hippies, of the music festivals, right? And I think that a lot of people would be surprised to find out that these infamous drugs actually can have very powerful therapeutic effects. Barnett and Sharola both noted that psychedelics could be uniquely valuable in therapy. LSD, psilocybin, and MDMA have all been shown to be useful in treating multiple mental health issues. Psychedelics really raise the question of, um, are mental illnesses really just um, different forms of cognitive rigidity? You know, people getting stuck in weird patterns that, that manifest differently. So then, if psychedelics are so useful, why are we just now getting around to normalizing their usage? Sharola thinks that lingering stigma is one reason. Psychedelics are not just drugs of the counterculture and that they're nothing like opioids or cocaine in terms of their potentially negative and dangerous effects. The war on drugs seems to be a key sticking point, but stigma might not be the only roadblock. Barnett noted that practicality could play a big role too. So LSD can last you know, twice as long as psilocybin and that really matters for clinical care because, um, you know, if, if it's going to take, you know, 12 hours that you have to be with this patient and two therapists have to be present in the room, um, that's a huge amount of uh, medical resources that, that are being consumed. There's, there's real concern um, that uh, psychedelic therapy, because it is so resource intensive, that uh, the, uh, the reimbursement from insurance companies will be too low to um, entice um, therapists to um, offer that as a service. So there's yeah, big issues around equity. Um, you know, financial issues, but um, uh, access for minority groups as well. So it seems that for as far as psychedelics have come, they've got much farther to go. Maybe they'll become less stigmatized and perhaps even legalized in medicine. Maybe then other areas of our culture will become more receptive to them. Maybe Northwestern will let Millendorf make his club. Psychedelics can be dangerous, right? But you can think about it kind of as like driving a car. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't let like a 10 year old drive a car you like wouldn't want to drink and drive a car you wouldn't want to like drive if you don't know how if you're inexperienced right but like if you know how it's done there's really not that much of a problem like yeah you might be like stressed out during traffic or whatever but like you, you know you'll get through it for wnur news i'm allison Rout. another week of drama means it's time for the b-list WNUR News' roundup of pop culture highlights, with updates on Madonna and Cardi B, Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, and the Major League Baseball playoffs, here's John Ferreira. Welcome to The B-List, your weekly roundup of celebrity mess and pop culture. This week, beef between Cardi B and Madonna, a new Taylor Swift album, Harry Styles' second movie in a month, and an update on the MLB playoffs. In celebrity news, Madonna took to Instagram on Saturday to call out Cardi B and other celebrities, including Kim Kardashian and Miley Cyrus. The 80s star posted a story in which she discussed her 1992 book, S.E.X., and how different celebrities today are treated for talking about their sexual experiences. Cardi B caught a stray in the rant, with Madonna calling out the rapper and the popularity of her explicit songs. 
Cardi fired back quickly, however, tweeting, quote, she can make her point without putting clown emojis, end quote. And, quote, these icons really become disappointments once you make it in the industry, end quote. The post was soon deleted from Cardi's Twitter. In music, Taylor Swift released Midnight's, her 10th studio album and her first original one in two years on Friday at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. The acclaimed singer announced the album about two months ago at the MTV VMA Awards. Each song on the album is meant to encapsulate one of the star's sleepless nights over the course of her tenure. As you'd expect, Midnight's is peppered with genres, as different songs serve as an allusion to different stages of Swift's career. Reviews are generally positive among casual listeners, with 97% of Google users liking the album and rating it an average of 4.6 stars out of 5. Among Swift's most diehard fans, comments on the new tracks are uh, more mixed. In movies, Harry Styles starred in the second major film within the last month, following the September release of Don't Worry Darling, a mega-hyped, drama-surrounded feature that paired the singer alongside Florence Pugh, Styles found the screen again in My Policeman, which released on Friday. The film follows Styles, who plays Tom, a gay British policeman in the 1950s, and his love story with the schoolteacher. The duo attempts to balance their romance with Britain's homophobic laws. Critics viewed the film as an improvement for Styles, giving the latest project a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. Don't worry, darling, notched a 38% on the tomato meter. In sports, the MLB playoffs entered their final stretch as the Philadelphia Phillies took down the San Diego Padres Sunday night, stamping their ticket to the World Series for the first time in well over a decade. The Houston Astros, who had appeared in the last six American League Championship Series, yes, you heard that right, six in a row, put away the New York Yankees on Sunday night. An Astros-Phillies World Series matchup pits the highest-seeded team in Houston against the lowest-seeded one in Philly. That's all for the B-List this week. Check in next Monday to hear about what happens this week in pop culture. For WNUR News, I'm John Ferrara. Taking a look at the weather for tonight... Our streak of October warmth will come to an end as we enter into a series of showers and upper 50s temperatures tomorrow. Today's high winds will dip under 10 miles per hour for the next few days. In the headlines, today marks the Diwali holiday, celebrated on Northwestern's campus by student organization Hindu Yuva. Diwali celebrates Ram, a Hindu deity, and it represents good's victory over evil. In celebration, Hindu Yuva brought Mandala South Asian Performing Arts to Khan Auditorium Sunday evening to display the story of Ram. The Chicago Transit Association changed weekday and weekend rail schedules Sunday. The new schedules were constructed to better unreliable and inconsistent service, says CTA President Dorval Carter Jr., Still, a shortage in CTA workers is the root problem of rail scheduling issues, according to the Chicago Sun-Times. In Minneapolis, a former police officer pleaded guilty today of second-degree manslaughter in the killing of George Floyd back in May 2020. J. Alexander Kang will face three and a half years in prison if the plea deal is granted, but for now, the presumptive sentence sits at four. Kang is the second Minneapolis officer to plead guilty to the charge, after Thomas Lane did so earlier this year. The two will not face as lengthy a stay as Derek Chauvin, who is convicted of state murder and manslaughter, now serving 22 and a half years. Britain's new prime minister, Rushi Sunak, 
will be inaugurated tomorrow after former PM Liz Truss formerly resigned today. Sunak is part of the Conservative Party, serving as Chancellor of the Exchequer, Chief Secretary of Treasury, and Member of Parliament previously. The appointment of Sunak follows Liz Truss's failed tax-cutting budget that sent financial markets into a spiral, according to CNBC News. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can also find us on our website, wnur.news. Again, that's wnur.news. Our producer today is Zach McCrary, and our reporters are Anusha Kumar, Ellie Skelly, Ari Burnick, Allison Rauch, and John Ferreira. For all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Iris Swarthout. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us next time on Wednesday, October 26th at 6 p.m. Central. Now, back to scheduled programming.